0: Let's take some big story inventory of the decade that was on the Kansas City sports scene. A victory parade attended by hundreds of thousands? Check. An NFL draft move that gained a team, the league's most valuable player, in his second year? Check. Conference membership maneuvers that brought fear and uncertainty to local schools and broke up rivalries? Check, check, check. On this Christmas Eve edition of Sports KC, presented by Big O Tires, star columnist Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian join me, Blair Kirkhoff, in discussing the impact of these stories involving the Royals Chiefs and KU Mizzou in Kansas State. In our estimation, these were Kansas City's biggest stories of the decade. Next week, Sam Vahe and I will continue our conversation and talk about some of the biggest personalities and games of the 2010s. Hope you enjoy Vahe Gregorian and Sam Melinger are here, and guys, I think the one of the reasons to celebrate the end of this decade is I never knew what to call it in the first place. Is it was it the 2010s? <laughs> okay. Was it the 20 teens? What what was this decade called?
1: I just know it wasn't the aughts. No, it couldn't be. Which the was the previous decade, which I struggled that's with. That's very also.
0: much a 20th century thing, right? Yeah. Do you aughts. think they
1: called it that? You know, a hundred years ago, did they refer to it that way? <laughs> I'm just angry about it all, Blair.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Finally found the
1: thing that makes (laughs) my (laughs) I didn't hear a fist pound. There it
0: is. (laughs) But it was a uh, pretty eventful decade in Kansas City sports. Let's start by, we're going to talk about what we thought the biggest stories of uh, this decade, uh, what the biggest stories were, and some of the bigger personalities and events. Let's start with, uh, by identifying where we all were 10 years ago (laughs) and because not all of us in this room were here uh, 10 years well none of us in this room were in this building right Uh, but uh, but we all we 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 weren't all with the star vahe 10 years 2010 the the calendar flips from 2009 to
1: 2010 yeah i mean year 23 or something at the st louis post dispatch um i'm covering some missouri stuff a lot of missouri stuff um Getting ready. Just came back from the 2010 Vancouver Olympics, and was looking forward to seeing Sam in London in 2012, working for the competing Kansas City Star newspaper.
2: (laughs) That's right. Big rivals in our Olympics (laughs) coverage. (laughs) Uh, Sam, of course, you were a pup. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) yeah, I was... um, You know what? In 2010, uh, March of 2010, officially, I think I got this job. Uh, But when it went from 09 to 2010. I was a baseball writer here at the Star. Um, Single, kidless. Uh, Got a dog in early 2010, I believe. Um, In a loft downtown. Yeah, I mean, like uh, professionally, I'm kind of in the same spot, right? But uh, personally, it flipped on its head
1: for sure. Yeah. Blair, you still had the full nest.
0: I did. Yeah. Yes. Um, One, the oldest was off in off to college. Actually, the I got to think about it. Yeah, the oldest was off to college, and the second one was a senior, I think, in high school. No, he had just gone off to college as well. So, two in college, daughter still in high school. They are now as far away as possible. They really them. are. They, they could not get far enough away from their parents. So, uh, great kids, though, and, and looking forward to seeing them, in, uh, most of them, during the holiday break. I'll tell you what else changed a lot over this decade is what downtown Kansas City looks like. Oh, my gosh. I mean 2010, I don't know if uh if the Jones store was still up. Maybe that was already closed down. No, but. it was the only reason I know
2: this is cuz I was I was living there and um I feel like it had just started to move away from being a dump. And and it, it started its upswing and th- there were you know some more restaurants and there were some more, you know, Cosentino's. I think it just opened. I think so. Or, well, power and light had um, opened, and Sprint Center yeah.
0: was w- was open. That that part of downtown was the development had begun, and that had started to change the downtown um, vibe for sure. Yeah,
2: I feel like once they put a grocery store downtown, it, it, like that, that was a mile marker for me about you know people can legitimately work here without having to go you know out to that sun's fresh or whatever, yeah. you know, down on I-70 or, um, or the, the one down on Southwest Trafficway. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, my God, uh, there was zero light apartments, um, <laughs> at that point, right? <laughs> 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 there were um, You know, all these convention hotels and all this other stuff, it's, it's changed dramatically. I my tell course.
1: you what, even coming from across the state, I would, I would be here a couple, three, four times a year. It seemed like back in the day of the big 12 tournament when Missouri was playing <laughs> yeah. and such, but um, it, it was astonishing to see what was happening in the mid-2000s it, till early 2010s, whatever we're calling these decades. I mean, it was, I, I thought of Kansas City as an entirely different place because of it.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the Crossroads District is what's uh, yeah. w- what's been amazing. That, that's that's the downtown contribution to the decades, the Crossroads mm-hmm. District and the streetcar, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, a, amazing growth and who knows what the, well, we'll talk about what we think the next decade might bring a little later. Um, but, hey, so Vahe, you weren't here uh, in Kansas City, but you were on the front lines like we all were with what uh, was one of the biggest stories of the decade. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to identify a handful of stories that we think, well, let's be honest, I think, and I've got you guys to, <laughs> <laughs> to drag you guys in here to talk about it, uh, Are the biggest were the biggest stories involving Kansas City and Kansas City region sports in the last decade, and by that I mean Chiefs, Royals, um, Sporting KC, the major college scene. Uh, and, I, and I I know this for a fact, that I covered the the Rose Bowl for the 2009 season, which was played in January 2010. That was when Alabama beat Texas, right? <laughs> I was and there it, with you. You were there, we yeah. were there covering that game. Um, Colt McCoy got hurt yeah. and couldn't finish. Otherwise, I thought Texas would have made it a more competitive game. But as it turns out, one thing that happened at that Rose Bowl that we didn't find out until later was then Texas Athletic Director Dallas Dodds played golf with some ESPN executives and that's where the Longhorn Network was hatched. <laughs> and the Longhorn Network became a big factor in the kind of the landscape of sports today, but uh, it, it but it changed yeah. it changed the Big 12 in a big way. And so the next few years uh, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013 were all about conference realignment, and I just remember thinking um, every day seemed to bring some new rumor, some different story. Some it, it was crazy. It was crazy the the attention that it, that it received and the the information that was out there, and um, and and I just uh, I, I remember you know always seemed to be chasing the story. You know. Even the people that you relied on as your good sources didn't seem to know what was going on. They were asking you for information. Yeah, um, that's true. But it but it, it really had the op. It had the it had the capacity to change Kansas City because this had always been home to the to the conference basketball tournament. It always been a center of gravity for the Big Six, Big Seven, Big Eight, Big Twelve. Um, it was not a branch town. It was a it was a headquarters town, and. Because of conference realignment, because Kansas and and, uh, and Kansas State uh, remained in a Big Twelve that survived, and Missouri moved on to the S- SEC, um, it, it changed the personality, I think, of Kansas City as a college sports town. Vahe, you were covering it for the Post Dispatch. What were your kind of vivid memories of those
1: well, times? Well, one thing that you're saying that's that's really ringing true with me. It's interesting. Missouri occupies a bigger part of the. College sports pie in St. Louis, right? It's it's in that sense more prominent among. I mean, Illinois is of interest, and St. Louis U. But St. Louis U. Is just basketball. Missouri's really St. Louis's school. That's not really the case here. I, I, I mean, it's one of them, but it's correct. It's not. Yet, the overall impact of that on Kansas City, I think, is much greater for the reasons you just lined out. Lined up. I mean, it it it's part of sort of the fundamental makeup of what made Kansas City Headquarters. Um, so, and, and the story itself, chasing the story itself is a good way to put it. I always felt like we were chasing. Um, always felt like uh, even our best place sources, their headlights only went so far. Um, felt like some people were a little duplicitous. I mean, I, I feel like there was a lot of misdirection. Intentional, that was part of it. Um, it also felt like one of the things you'll hear sports writers talk about that we've all experienced is dealing with coaching searches. And those things are endless chase your tail. There, there was a day where you, you could get somewhere on that. Now it's just complicated, but you got to fill the gaps as much as you can. And, and this one, but it was a coaching search on steroids for months.
0: <laughs> right, so, that's a great way and, of putting it. That, that, it was. That's how I
1: felt. And the night that it finally happened, and you know, you think about these dumb little symbols, but I was in Waco. Uh, Missouri is playing at Baylor, and there was an earthquake in Oklahoma that night, and it shook the press box in Waco. And we always thought that was a convenient little <laughs> symbol to use, and, and the breaking news now on, on this. Um, so it it was a huge story, and we can talk more about the ramifications. But it, it, you're right, Blair. It was it was um, absolutely one of the stories of the decade, maybe maybe the story of the decade in some ways.
0: You know, uh, there there are a couple things. That just talking about it r- reminds me. I mentioned the, the the golf outing that the Lost Odds had at the Rose Bowl. Something the other the other big catalyst for it was the Big Ten announcing that it was going to expand. It was just a three paragraph release, but the Big Ten in that release said we are exploring expansion, and that I remember that set off the fire alarms too. <laughs> who were the who would who would it be? What were the teams? Uh, that's when you know Missouri was certainly uh, associated with that story, and that's when Jay Nixon had his. You know, yeah. you know, his moment where uh, the Missouri governor said, well, we'd rather be associated with Northwestern uh, than Texas Tech or something like that. And this well, is why Missouri was still in the Big 12. And <laughs> um, and so that- Texas uh, there, Tech was
1: the school <laughs> used, which takes on a different meaning now for us.
0: <laughs> it <does. laughs> yes, it does. But there were, some, there were some hurt feelings over that, but um, man, it was, uh, it, those were interesting times. And listen, b- b- before, uh, uh, excuse me, Vahe, um the the game that you covered at Wake, I remember that because the the announcement from Missouri came the next day. But before that, Nebraska and Colorado had already left the Big 12. And so the Big 12 continued for a year with Texas A&M, Texas A&M and Missouri as a 10-team conference. It was when Missouri and Texas A&M decided to leave. That's when it really looked like the Big 12 was in big trouble. I remember there, there,
2: there was like tangible fear almost, you know, about that. And... We've already touched on this a little bit, but like I, I think that was felt in Kansas City more than probably anywhere else. You know, if if you're Oklahoma, you're gonna be fine. <laughs> if you're Texas, you're you're gonna be fine. Uh, but th- there were some institutional insecurities that came out in a really big way because then all of a sudden, it's like if if you're Kansas, it's, you know, you've got this, you know, national, you know, elite, whatever basketball program. But football steam, you know, like the football didn't at that time. They weren't how they are now, but historically, that football program wasn't very good. K State, you know, you start talking about um, well and, and Kansas, both you start talking about TV sets. You know, that's that's how if you That's how that's how Rutgers like snookered their way into the Maryland, Maryland Rutgers, the Rutgers Big Ten. is delivering that NYC market. <laughs> uh, but there was just there was just so much insecurity from people in administrations at basically every. Institution, it seemed like other than Oklahoma and Texas, where the opposite of insecurity uh, was seeping out. I, I had lunch with somebody who knows what he's talking about in in these in these things, and and he said, uh, you know, one thing that nobody is talking about that I believe is true is that the the selfishness of Oklahoma and Texas is driving the big 12 kind of to the brink of disaster right now, the brink of extinction or the brink of, you know, major shakeup right now. Um, He said, I'm telling you right now, I think the selfishness of Texas and Oklahoma is gonna keep the big 12 together because those schools are gonna realize they can't get this deal with the SEC. They can't get, you know, they, they can't keep the lion's share of the revenue. Um, in the the SEC is not going to let them do that. The Pac-12 or was it Pac-10 at that point? Uh, whatever, yeah. the, the Pac is not going to let them do it. The Big Ten is not going to let them do it. And and he said so they're gonna they're gonna keep this thing together because it's in their self interest. And of course, to me at that point, like my head's spinning for all these rumors. Like ah, oh, that can't happen. <laughs> you know, it's gonna break up. And God, I should have written that. I would have been smart. <laughs> <You know>?
1: yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. a miss. That was a <laughs> smart source well, that you uh, yeah. It was a that, very though. smart <laughs> source,
2: <laughs> and I, I appreciate him to this day. <laughs>
1: you know one of the things that that you're making me think of sam as as you speak about this is that term brink of extinction or whatever so the missouri administration the missouri fan missouri constituency will all say that that's what part of what drove their move right also the resentment of texas which everybody in the big 12 had but that you know we got to find our place at the table um but there are people in kansas who felt that missouri had um misrepresented itself in how it was going to approach this and that, you know, sort of they were hand in hand with Kansas, you know, and then all of a sudden they weren't. Um, and that was a big problem and had repercussions for, for years after, obviously, and maybe still to some degree does.
0: But for sure, in the in in the immediate aftermath.
1: A- absolutely. Kansas
0: turned, turned its back on the rivalry is what it, happened.
1: It did. But the question I've always wondered, and there's maybe no answer to it, is had Kansas... Let's say, for argument's sake, Kansas wouldn't have gone to the SEC. I, 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 I don't know. If that's a fit for Kansas. I'm not, still not sure it's the right fit for Missouri. But that's another <laughs> that's another question. But let's say Kansas got an offer to go to the Big Ten at that time. You know, where there's fears of the Mountain West or whatever the the fears were. Does Kansas take that? Oh I yeah, th- I think they would. Yeah. So can, I've always wondered that. I've, I've tried and, to ask.
0: And this and this yeah. idea of well, if Kansas goes, Kansas State has to go, according to Pat Roberts or Sam Brownback whoever was. You know, Senator then. Are you kidding? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that that wasn't just in Kansas. That was echoing in Oklahoma. You know, if Oklahoma goes, yep. Oklahoma State's gotta go. Right. Or in Texas, Texas, Texas gotta oh,
1: are right. you
0: kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's well anyway, but just, just to, I've always thought that was an interesting point of order in all this, the way the the Kansas fan has looked at Missouri. Um and I'm not even really saying that's wrong. I, I get that. And Missouri didn't help itself with the Stupid SEC chants and, and, and T-shirts at the Big 12 tournament that year. I thought that was to use a term we heard earlier this week, bush league. Um, but but it was what what, it's, what they hey, did. Look,
0: it, it captured the moment. It's how they felt about. Yeah, and things. it
1: was how they it was how they felt. Right, yeah. it, and I don't know why they felt quite like that, but it was how they felt.
0: Can I can I tell you one other clear memory I have of
2: like all the realignment stuff? Was I remember being in in a staff meeting in our old building. Uh, during all this and that, that KU to the SEC thing like somehow that that was like a rumor for like a day and a half or whatever and I remember just sitting there and thinking like and I said this out loud I was like those poor KU kids, like, they're going to play a night game at Baton Rouge, you know? Like, and I remember Mike DiArmond was in the room and he was like, hey, "Yeah," ha, yeah.
0: He's
2: just fired up to see that
1: carnage. What's funny is that was probably a Les Miles LSU team you were thinking That's of. That's right, or. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: man. All right. Well, I, I, I would say all's well that ends well, but it, we're kind of there, right? I mean, the Big 12 survived. It added West Virginia and TCU. I think the Big 12 likes where it stands. You know, in in the scope of of the college sports landscape right now, their TV their TV contract is is going to be up in 20 uh, 24 25. So there'll be some negotiating going on here pretty soon. But I think Bob Bowlsby has positioned the conference in in, a, in they're in a good spot. The conference tournament never left Kansas City, yeah. even even though it's. It's technically played in an SEC state, uh, but the it, it never left. Um, it never left Kansas City, and and I think for us, you know, selfishly, best news of all is uh, Kansas and Missouri are going to play basketball starting next season. Oh yeah! So
1: it is funny though, just to think, and it's sort of just a fluke, right? But Big Twelve, it's not whole based on the name anyway, but. As we've talked about as recently as a car ride to Columbia last week, um, you know, how much pie do you have to add to make it worth dividing 12 ways instead of 10? And the measures out there don't really suggest that that's an easy gain. There might be a couple schools, who knows what it would be. but, But but bottom line is the Big 12 doesn't feel it's not whole. Big 12 feels... This is what they it, want to be it went through what this a couple years
0: ago at expansion exploration and it looked at schools the first thing they'd learned was there was there was no existing power five school that was interested in joining the big twelve so they looked at Houston central Florida mm-hmm. uh, Cincinnati to name a few and decided basically we're told by their television consultants that nobody you add would bring more dollars from ESPN and Fox yeah so it means you'd have to divide it Ooh. even you know two two more add two more shares and it's Coming out of your share, so yeah. Big yeah. 12 said that we're good, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so
2: the, the schools that would add more won't come, that's right, right? You know, so it's, yeah. you're right where you should be, <laughs> but I, I do think that it's, it's worth noting, you just did, Blair. So I'll just underline it that the, the Big 12 did navigate that whole thing about as well as it could. There, you know, people of a certain age, and I'm one of them, um, will probably always see it as diminished from, you know, I grew up with the Big 8 and then the Big 12, and there was just, it felt like that thing was going to be together forever, and I think it's diminished in some ways now forever. Um, but financially, which is all that matters, uh, they've navigated it better than I could have expected, and I think about it as well as anybody could expect.
1: I'll throw a curveball in this whole thing, though. I mean, financially, you're right, and it is all that matters, and it really seems to be all that's going to drive the engine. But... I mean, clearly something was lost. Absolutely. And I I still lament that. And I, you know, Missouri playing games in Starkville and Gainesville and, you know, the other Columbia and stuff. I mean,
0: and forming the rivalry with Arkansas, which, I mean, look, it it is a border state and there is a a trophy, but it's. It just got a little bit more of a rivalry, didn't
1: (laughs) it? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. probably the only field piece to it (laughs) that's (laughs) like that. Yeah. But it's kind of concocted and contrived and, and. and even, you know, obviously the first thing you think is Missouri and Kansas, but Missouri-Iowa State, Missouri-K State, you know, all those things. That, that that just It's been, what, seven years now. It still doesn't feel like these games have the currency to me. Like, Absolutely. Uh, obviously they're meaningful, but they're not personal.
0: I feel that way about Nebraska as well. <laughs> That's a good not way being, to put it. Not being like part that. of the conference. And so that, that'll circle back to the idea that, um, at once we felt like the center of the college, the Midwest college football universe or college yeah. sports universe. And we're just, Kansas City just isn't that yep. anymore. So, yep. all right, so that, that was the biggest story, I would say, of the first part of the decade. When we come back, we will talk about what, what is easily the biggest story of the middle part of the decade. We'll be right back. The biggest sale of the year is happening now at Big O Tires. Buy two tires, get two free on select tires in stock. That's two free tires when you buy an alignment and tire protection package. That's 50% off tires at Big O Tires. It's going on now, but it all ends soon. Buy two tires, get two free at all participating Big O Tires. Installation additional, plus shop fee of up to 10% of non-discounted retail price, not to exceed $35. Hurry, sale ends Monday, December 23rd. Back with Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian, and uh, we got through the college football, college sports um, mess of the of the early part of the decade. And as that was beginning to settle down, there was a baseball team in Kansas City that was starting to heat up. And 2013 was the first um, was the first year of first winning record for the Royals since the the 2003 team, right? The Tony Pena mm-hmm. team. So it had been a decade. I remember the the Justin Maxwell walk off grand slam, but of course there was the famous line after the season by Dayton Moore. It, uh, oh yeah, in, in a
2: small way, I feel like we've won the World Series. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that didn't that went over like a bag of turds. <laughs> like, and, and, it was just it
0: was just a little early. And, that's all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It was one of those. I feel like I've gotten to know Dayton better than. I've gotten to know anybody else on the locals, so that you know, I started covering baseball like right when he took the job, and I probably talked to him more than anybody else. I knew exactly what he meant. Um, I knew exactly what he meant, and as it turned, out, I called him after, or, no, uh, approached him after in that press conference, and asked him what he meant, and it was exactly what I thought he meant. Um, and but it was too late. <laughs> Even by then, you know that, <laughs> that 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 line had just been taken off, and and what he meant was. Was pure and it, and it was and I agree with it. Like what he meant was that to him, uh, a, a Royals game where the eight-year-old kids are coming in wearing Salvador Perez jerseys and Eric Hosmer jerseys and Lorenzo Kane jerseys is more important in a thirty-thousand-foot view than whether you win ninety-two games or seventy-one games or whatever. Like, and I love that. I I I wish that. Everybody had that perspective, um, but it was a dumb thing to say. It I really, think you really also was. called him
1: later. I can't remember
2: for he sure. He called but me. In the online world, the yeah. story was already up. Uh, I hope I'm not giving anything away here. I'm oh, sorry, my uh, fault. It's no, I, uh, uh,
0: hey, Before you got to your car. No, this,
2: this, is, this is actually, this is a, yeah, we can tell this story, I think. Uh, I wrote, like the column was basically, you know, the first sentence was something like Dayton Moore said a stupid thing. And then the rest of the column was trying to explain exactly what he meant, and you know maybe a different way that, that he could have said it, because I, I totally understood why people ran with the other meaning, right? Um, but I also want, I felt like it was worthwhile to try to help people understand what Dayton, Dayton's a baseball guy, he's not a public speaker, you know like just to here's what he was trying to say. And uh, he was not happy when he called, and he was like, "You know. I was I, I was kind of shocked, honestly, because I felt like the column was like sort of, eh, this is what he meant, guys. Just the first um, sentence through before. Yeah, and that's and he was like, "Well, you said it was stupid," and I was like, "Well, you know, <laughs> felt like it was, <laughs> you know," but also trying to, <laughs> you
0: know, say what you meant here, buddy. So um, anyway, <laughs> that was a nice little tangent. Um, so if, <laughs> we've we've gone pretty far into this. We're talking, of course, about the Royals yeah. of the of the mid-teens. I guess that's how we'll always refer to the mid-teen Royals who um, had the 2013 winning record that we were just uh, re- referring to, and then in 2014 and 2015 uh, did the unthinkable, really. <laughs> I mean, just, I, I still, five years later, uh, look back on, on those two seasons, especially the postseasons, mm-hmm. and I kind of can't believe it happened, hard to believe it happened. Vahe, you had just gotten to Kansas City um, fact, knew nothing but winning. It's all you knew. You'd Just come from the come from St. Knew. Louis where they had appeared. The Cardinals had been in the 2013 World Series. And then you come to Kansas City, you got nothing but W's.
1: It's, it is funny because I remember coming here. It was spring of 2013. I think I started June, June 2013. And at that point, Royals hadn't been in a postseason since 85. Chiefs hadn't won a postseason game since 94. I think we were like looking for different metrics to measure like the, you know, the greatest futility in professional sports. Um, but it, it was kind of a magical turn time, right? I mean, Andy Reid obviously with the Chiefs, we'll get into that later. Um, but the thing that was interesting to me, and this is what happens sometimes with just a fresh set of eyes, not, that it, not necessarily Pollyanna eyes, but you know, you're know you coming in and you see, looks like a fairly decent team. But also you see like the way, <laughs> the way people react to anything, like the way people reacted to Ned. Like, I was, like he had a pretty good line that season. It was the third base tree line. Mm-hmm about you know you can't just get a guy off a third base tree I, I thought it was really funny and people were just ridiculing him you might have ridiculed him I don't know I thought it was yeah. a great line I might have I don't know Ch- chances <laughs> are I'm just thinking out loud I remember the big graphic
0: we had in the paper that day of the third base was tree was it yeah <laughs> yeah I believe
1: it was saying column accompanied <laughs> listen we got a graphic can you write a column and fist the graphic um, but, but no the point is though when you, you come in you're just sort of seeing it with an o- open mind because you haven't been Bludgeoned by twenty-eight years of losing, it was like, oh, they—they they look like they could be okay, but I thought it would only ever be in baby steps. Like, it's amazing they made the wild card game. They're going to the wild card game. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then everything.
0: I just remember the one of the talking points entering the wild card game was well the Royals qualified for the postseason, but would that even does that even count? Yeah, would that right. would that count as a you know could could they b- th- throw up a flag in the, you know, in the outfield to join the the seventies and eighties flags just if they made the wild card and they didn't win anything. They did not win a division, you know, haven't won anything. I remember did not Ned play in October. Did not that's right. That game <laughs> well, was on September twenty eighth. Yeah. Didn't yeah. even get to that's October. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Ned i I'm mean, Ned was saying after the fact I don't remember him saying it before the fact, but after the fact that he wouldn't have considered that a playoff uh them being in the postseason. I'm pretty sure he did won. not ever say that before.
2: before <laughs> pretty sure that too. <laughs> right. yeah. It was
1: kind of a convenient thing to uh, be able to say later. Yeah.
2: That that uh that turned out that was the maybe the best game. Just the context of everything that it meant to. That was maybe the the most thrilling game that I've ever seen in person. And I remember uh, talking to Renee Francisco um, on the first floor, the elevators go down, and right by the, the the clubhouses. And I asked him something about like you got a feeling about the game tonight, and he said, "I think Salvi's going to have a big moment."
1: <laughs> I didn't remember that you <laughs> yeah.
2: saying that before. Um, That's great. He said that I, was like, I texted him after. I just the whole game, though. I mean, it was. Uh, the lead up to Salvi was was incredible. And well,
0: that, not only that, but I I do recall that you had the um, you had, you were down the road on your firing Ned. Yeah, that a couple paragraphs in. <laughs> <It's really
2: laughs> the first of so many Control A deletes uh, from the well, 2014. Hopefully, hope saved
1: someplace else just in case.
2: You know, Jeff Passett, uh our friend and and former coworker here. Uh, had this idea for, what was it? Uh, GameStoryGraveyard.com. <laughs> 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 that,
0: that would be great. <laughs> and it, that was, of course, because uh, Ventura's uh, home run, uh, gopher ball pitch yeah. to, um, to, to um, gosh, um, God, I forgot who hit the home run now. Was it, was I, it I remember. Brandon Moss. It was Moss. It was Moss. He had a couple. Yeah, he had
1: a game. Yeah. He had a game. <laughs> yep. he had a game. So. You know what? You remind me of, and we've sort of talked about this before, but it, it, it is true that those teams <laughs> represented so much that just crazy pendulum these things swing on on one or two little things. And the best example I can give is that Houston game, that the, the elimination game mm-hmm. too, where well, it was a seven straight hits and one that should have been called a hit that I think was ruled an error, but went yeah. off the mound. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, a bad
0: hop, mound. yeah, yeah. Uh, Kendris Morales,
1: but. But it's true, and again, this is maybe a little too much inside inside sport writing. But but we had, you know, started gotten into the planning stage of what we're writing when mm-hmm. they're down at that point. And as I recall, I was going to write how every September move they made backfired, <laughs> and you were going to write how the whole season wasn't worth it, <laughs> something to that effect. <laughs> and 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 then that's not what we wrote.
2: Yeah, and you know what though. Um, if they lost Game Four of the Division Series, I think I would stand by that column. <laughs> you know, I think I think they, they had to do what they did. I like there were just there were so many flashes of. Um, I remember there was like a self awareness on that team in some ways. You know, they they would talk about like, uh, you know, we ignore the noise and all that stuff. But uh, I don't remember which game this was. Uh, but it was one of the many, 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 many crazy bonkers you know, when probability goes up to the nineties and into the teens kind of game. And, and there were two Royals players that were walking back to the dugout and, and one of them turned to the other one and said something to the effect of, well, we bailed him out again. (laughs) And I still don't know if they were joking. Um, (laughs) I think they were, but I'm not, I'm absolutely not sure, but it didn't matter, you know, because that, that seemed to be the feeling of like, no matter what, I mean, you remember the crazy thing about, um, Alcides Escobar swinging at every freaking first pitch and you know, it became this joke in the in the dugout about well, we're going to win tonight. You know, he swung at the first pitch yep. again, and you know, it was, it was the wrong guy to have in the leadoff spot, <laughs> and that's the wrong approach to take <laughs> as a leadoff hitter. But it worked out. You know, yeah. it it absolutely you create your 100% own reality sometimes. Right? Like, mentally. yeah. yeah that, that, that is so. You know, <clears throat> that, that is such a like a metaphor, just you know, so <laughs> so, so <laughs> illustrative of of you know how they did it. It was just like every convention says A. The Royals were going to do B and it was gonna work out.
1: One, one thing to add, and I'd be far more interested in hearing what you guys say about this than I have to say, but, but it was fascinating to me as the new guy coming in, even from that perspective, I had a little bit of a sense of the meaning of this after all that time. I mean, in fact, I think I've said this before on one of our podcasts, I, it felt like for me, it actually fast forwarded me into living here because you felt so connected to the community. But I wonder for two people who were here that whole time, actually, you weren't quite here yet, were you? Uh, not 85. First World Series, but, nope. but, but you were. I mean, that, that's, that's got to be why this will always be in your, in your top things you'll share with people about yeah, stories I mean, you got to cover.
2: Look, like, it's not unusual for teams to win World Series 30 years apart, right? But what is unusual is for those 30 years to be filled with so much hopelessness. And you know, I, I remember doing a story, um, and it must have been 2006 or two, maybe 2007, but just of, of people who were adults. Um, it, it was in the, the last part of the first decade of this century. Um, people who were adults who were, you know, big Royals fans and born after 1985. And just sort of why the hell, why? You know like, why, 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 why? Why do you love this team that just is not loving you back? And I felt I remembered all those people during that run I corresponded with with a lot of them um, you know it, it was like your 30 or however you want to say 15 20 whatever years of pain or just of emptiness of just you know liking a a, a team that just consistently went nowhere and consistently did things like um, you know, Trade Carlos Beltran because he wanted twenty five million dollars instead of twenty four when he went behind <laughs> Scott Boris's back to negotiate a contract extension and trade him for um, one of my favorite people in the world, Mark Tian, but uh, you know, John or is it John Buck and Mike Wood? I mean, you just you know, keep doing things like that. And, and when you see you know people, you'd see a father and a son, uh, mother and daughter, and you'd see you know like. I went to 1985 with my dad or mom and now I'm here with my, you know, son yeah. or daughter. Just stuff like that is just really
0: like I'll get chills like just remembering some of that stuff. It was really it was amazing. I remember talking to a lot of fans starting starting the night in Chicago when the Royals clinched the the playoff position and talking to fans after the game and then starting to correspond with fans about their memories and and Sam I, I got a lot of that just a, yeah. people from from Southwest Missouri and Central Kansas, about how they spent their evenings listening to, you know, Fred and Denny on, you know, Royals broadcasts, and that's, you know, that was that's those were their summer evenings. Yeah. And and how just having championship baseball, meaningful baseball, brought back that feeling to them. And yeah. It was really really, I mean, I, I did. I got choked. Well, I've told you this before. That that night in Chicago. I got back to the hotel and I called my kids, Yeah, because you know? I just remember we went to games, yeah. you know, when they were kids and they loved going to Kauffman State. There's not much you can, as a sports writer, there's not much you can do with your kids in terms of taking them to, to games because mm-hmm. you're always you're working, right? But we, we used to go to Royals games and, yeah. and I, I knew how happy they were and I just wanted to talk to them about it.
2: Yeah, the, 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 I mean, there were a million stories like that and just any one of them. Was incredible, you know, and any one of them is a story about, um, you know, like I, I remember, uh, um, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but when they drafted Aaron Crow in the first round, obviously that didn't work out, Um uh, but Aaron Crow grew up as a Royals fan
0: in Topeka and yeah, uh,
2: Washburn or Oral maybe, but um, anyway, and in you know, the the teleconference after they drafted him, you know, somebody said, Who was your favorite player? and I think he said Johnny Damon, and that's when it hit me like, th- this is a guy who's. <laughs> you know, old enough to be drafted by a baseball team and he grew up loving this team because they were the closest one and I was remembering, like, Johnny Damon, what was the best team that Johnny Damon ever played <laughs> on? You know, and like they scored some runs for a few years when they had the outfield, but it was garbage for most of the time. You know, the staff ERA would there be No in the chance. Fives. It was
0: a no chance of
2: <laughs> yeah. a good and, team. You know, and then people like Aaron Crow, you know, not the ones that didn't become professional ballplayers, right? Um, you know, grew up Knowing nothing but disappointment, and you know, 2003 was the only winning season between the strike and 2013, right? Mm -hmm. And for people that don't remember it, it's hard to explain, like just how unexpected that season was, um, and how, in hindsight, how unlikely. And just – I've come to call it the great fluke of 2003 because that that team signed Jose Lima sight unseen from independent ball because his fastball reached, like, 84 or something <laughs> like that. And then he won his first five starts right. or something like that. I mean, it was just – all these things worked out for that team. And and that was the best team in two decades, and they won 83 games and finished, like, third or fourth in, <laughs> in, in a bad right. division. Uh, this, so then for this to actually happen and for – you know, a fan base has grown used to all these rebuilds, you know, it just turns into dust. And now, all of a sudden, it was clicking. And it's easy to forget this now, but in July of 2014, there were a hell of a lot of people in this town who wanted Dayton Moore and Ned Yost fired and the whole thing blown
0: up. Right. They, a whole lot. They had Didn't they fall like a game below 500? Yeah, they were below
2: 500 after the All-Star break. I think it was like 47 and 48 or something like that. And a whole bunch of people. I remember there was a lot of <laughs> columns being written about, you know, because they didn't do anything at the trade deadline that year, right? And you know, you got to do something. You either need to trade James Shields <laughs> and and start playing for 2018 or whatever, um, or you need to. Who, who was there? Was a hot outfielder? Um, you know what? It was Alex Rios, wasn't it? Um, that, oh. that people wanted the Royals to trade for. You know, you got to do something. And and they did. Not only did they not do something, uh, but then Eric Hosmer breaks his hand like, two hours after the trade deadline. And now, you know, he's their – maybe their best player, one of their best players, and now you've you got to play Billy Butler at first base. <laughs> Woo! You know? <laughs> right. and, and then Billy Butler played great he at did. first he base. Did, right? uh, uh, he hit home runs. Vahe, you, you've noted this multiple times about, you know, Raul Abanez, who's basically signed just to be, like, you know, him and, and, and George Brett coming in as the hitting coach. They were, they were just swag coaches. That, you know, they were just trying to get these guys to believe – and I think he did that, but he also hit a home run in a game that the Royals won 1-0, yeah, and one that I could always, be the difference. That always you know? stuck out to that me. That was in Oakland, of, right? It was
1: in Oakland, yeah. right? And the, the difference there is quite simple, I guess, right? I mean, if you just put it in a vacuum, the uh, Royals are playing that wild card game in Oakland. Mm-hmm. I think that's how that would have worked mm-hmm. out. Probably the dynamics are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and however it would have played out, it would have robbed us of the sheer joy of what it did for this town mm-hmm. with that game played here the yeah. way it went. Yeah. You know,
2: You know, James Shields said that when he walked out to the mound in that game, that he could literally feel the ground shaking, like literally feel on his feet, the ground shaking because there was so much noise. Remember, like the, this is how long ago it was. It, I remember in 2014, looking and I was like, holy crap, like I've never seen this much blue, you know, like every once in a while there's a lot of fans um if it's opening day or you know the cardinals or whatever i've never seen this many people in royal stuff gathered in one place ever
0: (laughs) no the the only time you saw the the building like that they were wearing Derek jeter or no more garcia para jerseys because the yankees or red sox were in town which is why dayton felt like they won the world series in 2013 right right? right.
1: (laughs) and you know this this isn't lost on me either i mean one of the we're talking about some of the very specific games but there was like there were out of body feelings kind of to be had for each of those postseason games. I mean, like the, you can't believe they're here, fans are here. You know, we're we're sort of taking that in as you know absorption points or whatever you'd call it, and you could really feel it. Oh my gosh, you could really feel it.
0: You know, because of that experience, because of what Kansas City felt uh, after the parade. The parade was was just Ooh. phenomenal, and then the, the sea of blue at Union Station. Because of what this city felt that day, I, I find myself, I have found myself since then, previously not caring about who wins events and championships, but kind of inwardly pulling for teams that haven't won anything in a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. So when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, um, when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championship, when the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup, I just thought, great, those fans mm-hmm. got to feel what the people in Kansas City felt. And you just tell by the you know, by the parades that those guys threw. That, And so, uh, Chiefs fans, I'm thinking of you <laughs> in that realm. <brilliant>? That's right. <laughs> All right, listen, uh, great talk. When we come back, we've got one more big story of the decade and we will move into the last couple years of whatever we're calling this decade. We'll be right back. a lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Guys, the Chiefs have been good for most of this decade. Uh, since you got here, Vi, 2013, Andy Reid, arrived along with uh, with Alex Smith John Dorsey and they built a, a winning team right away in fact you know the, it was one of the great reverses that I can remember from 2 and 14 in the Javon Belcher year of 2012 to 11 and five in a playoff team in 2013 but um, as consistently good as the Chiefs have been since then things changed in a pretty dramatic way in in um, in the 20, let me get the draft year right, 20, 2017 Twenty seventeen draft. Yep.
2: Yes, thanks. Sad a year, played a year.
0: Yep, and now, and now we're here too. Uh, of course, we were talking about Patrick Mahomes, the player that the Chiefs had never drafted, you know, <laughs> that type of guy, it was just, it, a, ta- a, uber talented player, B, a quarterback. You know, first, first time the Chiefs drafted a, a quarterback in the first round since Todd Blackledge, in the in the early 80s, and things have never been the same around here. Um, and listen, we're recording this. We're, we are recording this before the Chiefs game at Chicago Sunday night. But we know the Chiefs have won the division. Um, they're going to be uh, they're going to be in the playoffs, and I think ultimately, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' season will be judged on what happens in the postseason. But up until now. Up until now, uh, given what you know, what he what he has accomplished so far, he is a transformational figure in in the history of Kansas City sports. Like, do you, do you have to have played 10 years to be that sort of person? I, I don't know, but the fact that he was the first uh, NFL MVP in Chiefs history, the record-setting year of of 2018, um, just the person that Patrick Mahomes is, and uh, is you know as he's you know projected in in Kansas City with his you know with his public figure as as, uh, as as visible as he is he is just a he's been a remarkable person for Kansas City and for the Chiefs and again I'll, I'll start with you Sam since you've been here longer there hadn't been anybody quite like this No I don't think even close like uh,
2: I mean just like perspective, Shifting, uh, you know, the, the Chiefs have had a lot of stars. You know, I mean, they've had Hall of Famers. Um, you know, Derek Thomas for a time was, you know, the best pass rusher in the league. Tony Gonzalez for a long time was the best tight end. Jamal Charles for a time was the best or one of the best. Run. They they've had guys that are terrific, but not at that position. <laughs> you know, and 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 also just not as just wildly, almost unimaginably dynamic, and and able to. You know, turn nothing into a fourth and nine against the Ravens last year. Just the, you know, the two point conversion. Um, you know, uh, against um, against the Broncos. I mean, there's just there's a million plays like that that he's made already, and he's been playing for you know a, a season and a half. It's. Um, I was thinking about this too. He is the only person in Kansas City sports. i th- pretty sure this, like, I've tried to think of others. I think he's the only person in Kansas City sports who I would bet has the same job at the end of this decade, at the end of the uh, 2020s. And that's the other part of it too. Um, You know, uh, our oldest son is in kindergarten. And I I feel like Patrick Mahomes is going to be the quarterback when my kindergartner is in high school.
0: You'll that's have a to, pretty amazing Yeah, thing. you'll have to buy jerseys that are just another size up for, as long, you know, for the for next <laughs> yeah, few years. That's right. I mean, I've seen those
2: kindergarten pictures too by the way, and I mean there's like half the classes in Mahomes jerseys, <laughs> you know. I'm like this is this is weird, man. This is different.
1: <laughs> that's well what you know one thing you're making me think of it's, it's sort of how he's looked at here, but the thing that's been interesting to me and there's no easy way to measure this, but he's pretty popular post coast to coast. And he's now kind of entwined with Kansas City coast to coast. I mean, people think of us when they think of him. They think, you know, the Kansas City treat, whatever, you know, however you look at him. Um, I was in Philadelphia when he got hurt against the Broncos. And all the people watching the game on TV were, like, bummed out. And they were, like, Eagles fans and Patriots fans. Uh, In Boston, my cousins and friends up there want to know everything they can about him. It's just, it's a little different than just being a really good player on a, on, a, on a good team. I mean, he's obviously a national presence, probably in some ways that we don't know how to measure an international presence. Probably got a little whiff of that in Mexico City. I don't know, again, how we'd assess that exactly, but um, probably the only guy on the Kansas City sports scene, and you guys would know this better than me from all your time here, but you know, kind of needs bodyguard or so with him out there because yep. he's a guy who can't say no, but also because people are going to treat him like the Beatles. Right. Um, and I'm sure in his heyday, whatever, name it, George Brett, I don't know who that person would be in their heyday. Bo Jackson? Um,
0: yeah. But- uh, he said the magic word. Sorry. I know. I made a made, made <laughs> He knows melt. the way into my heart.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but surely there have been guys in the stratosphere, or women for that matter, in the stratosphere of sports figures here. that people just won't run to or flock to quite the way they will to Patrick.
2: Yeah. I think you named probably the two, you know, sort of the, it's cliche, but like rock stars um, that, that have played here. Tony Gonzalez, I think got close. Derek Thomas, I think got close. Uh, but you know, George Brett was the best player in baseball for a time. And Bo Jackson was the biggest thing in sports for a time when he was playing <laughs> half of his work life uh, was in, was in Kansas city. But it, it is different when it, it's 2019 and, you know, social media. At which Mahomes is great, by the way. Um, you know, it, it just makes things like this burn a little hotter. I think. then you know, I, I think George Brett. Um, <laughs> you guys might want to check me on this, but I think George Brett might have still enjoyed a night or two out um, at the Plaza or Westport, some of those things like after after baseball games. And I don't think Patrick Mahomes can like walk into Kelly's, like you know, just on a, on a Friday night and just not you know blow the place up. It's it, it is. I think it's different
0: now. I think that's that's a, a great point. Um, you're right. George Brett was, for a time, the, the best player in a sport. But when George played, th- the best player in a sport could do the things that George Brett did in the. If, that's right. What, what he might have done in the, that yep. you can't. That can't happen. That, and and that's I'll tell you what. That's a phenomenon of this decade. Um, yeah. Social media, Twitter. Um, that's yeah. you know I, I listen I veering off a little bit here but I remember Larry Eustacey the the old Iowa yeah. State basketball yeah. coach was yeah. one of the first ones kind of get caught mm-hmm. by social media yeah. and uh, and those are the we saw the consequences of of that
2: but that stuff with with Mahomes as well like all that is magnified by George Brett is the best player in his sport for a time um, but one baseball player. Even if it's George Brett in his prime or Mike Trout now or whatever, can't have the impact that the quarterback for a football team can. You know, I mean, and, and look, they've got Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and Mitchell Schwartz and you know other guys that that are really really good on that offense. But even if it was just a bunch of you know guys named Fred, the other ten positions, like you got Mahomes, you feel like you've got a chance to score
0: some points. Um. <laughs> Am I right in suggesting that, uh, as it, we're still in something of a honeymoon period with Patrick Mahomes, that he, he's one and one as a playoff starter? Yeah. And if that you know if if that becomes a negative you uh-huh. know a, a losing record in the postseason, that maybe you know we'll start to feel a little differently about him. Not to say that you know we, we don't you know appreciate every you know the greatness that he is, but how much of of what he'll ultimately mean to Chiefs fans depends on how far the Chiefs go in the postseason. Not I, not just yeah, this no, year, but in future years. All of it. I mean, I, you know,
2: I think they remember Dan Marino was a really good quarterback in Miami, but I think they also remember that he never won a Super Bowl and, and never got back to one, right, after... Uh, well, he just you know, went to one his second year. Yeah, never got back to one after, right. you know, like, and you think in that second year, <laughs> you think, oh, like, with, with Mahomes that this is always going to going to happen in Marino's career is kind of the great, you know, sort of cautionary tale. I was just talking about this with somebody else the other day, actually, about, um, you know, Mahomes hasn't had to deal with a lot of, he, he's had injuries, right? But he hasn't had to deal with that kind of adversity of, you know, the, the biggest disappointment he's had as a pro happened when he hung 31 or whatever it was on Bill Belichick. In, in the second half and the game was lost because you know a guy lined up off sides and the defense couldn't uh you know stop the other team you know in the playoffs and all that and that's you know his hands are clean he didn't have the ball <laughs> he didn't have the ball you at know, the end yeah. yeah and and so he hasn't I'm curious that'll happen right um every great quarterback um you know has had those disappointments but I don't think we've seen anything in Mahomes's you know sort of character or the way that he presents himself to believe that he won't handle that well
1: an interesting side point of this is it's right along the lines of the question you're asking blair i mean one of the things that he's created the the reason he's created such excitement is you sort of believe anything's possible with him (laughs) Mm -hmm. and at some point and we're just in year two here and it maybe won't happen this year but at some point if if anything possible doesn't translate to getting to a super bowl then it becomes less a point of that right so I mean, as of now, I think he's got a little cushion here. I don't think they've ever lost a game because of him yeah. um, to this point. Uh, I think they've won only Indiana a few Dallas. times without him being yeah. good, really good. Yeah, the maybe that's
2: that's that's as close as it's gotten. But yeah. that was like
0: week five or whatever. Yeah, still still on the bum ankle.
1: And yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, the arrows just all point up that way. But but you're right. At some point, he needs that on his ledger to you feel like promise fulfilled right. right he can be
0: a hall of fame quarterback and not have won a super
1: bowl right just like andy Reid can be a hall of fame coach and not have won a super bowl right but let's bear in mind andy what he's two and five for the chiefs in postseason now right yep so that translates to two chiefs postseason wins in a quarter century so you you know you want to see them build on that yeah
2: <laughs> and and I always point this out, not maybe not always, but I know I've pointed this out a time or two before on this fine podcast program, but you, Vahe, wrote that you believe that Andy Reid would win a Super yeah. Bowl in Kansas City before the arrival of Mahomes, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I think I agree I certainly agree with you now. You know, it, yeah. it seems, you don't want to say inevitable, but certainly likely, but likely doesn't matter, you know, because I, I think about this too, and maybe this is just being conditioned of living in Kansas City and seeing Chiefs seasons for, for all my life, but um, think about this possible playoff path, where uh, you know the Chiefs. Let's just say they're the number three seed. They beat the Steelers or whoever it is. Then um, they go to New England and they win there. They win a playoff game in Foxborough. Um, and now they've beaten the Patriots twice in one season. And Tom Brady's 104 years old, and that's done. And, and then you go and you get bossed around in Baltimore, and you kind of feel like one. King of the AFC has just been replaced by a tougher, younger, faster version. And you missed your window? Um, yeah. I mean, that, that, is a, that,
1: that scenario is on the table. Yeah. Heck, it it's is. Absolutely on the table. Well, look, one other interesting thing about, and Blair, knowing you, you might know this off the top of your head, but so who is the, what's the oldest a coach has been to win his first either championship or Super Bowl? Right. I mean, Andy, whenever, if Andy does win one, it's
2: the most years coaching. I remember I looked that up. I don't okay. know about the age. most
1: years coaching without having yeah. one. It, it, he would be. Yeah, he would take that role. Yeah, I don't know about so, the age. But like I, got, I think the reason I'm thinking of this is a guy like Tom Landry went some years being accused of not being able to win the big one, right? I mean, he did. That's right. Until the early '70s, I guess was he the Cowboys' original coach? Yes, he was. So. Yep. Decade plus in that, but we're talking—you know—this is more than twenty years now no, at it. But that's Andy, right. You, mo,
0: most coaches don't get the opportunity to hang around as right. long as they. And he wore out his welcome in Philadelphia. Yeah, and for the, sure.
2: And I think he—he's earned these opportunities, right? Like um, he had the sustained success in in Philly, um, and then you know the the Chiefs. And can I say this too? Like when we're talking about the Chiefs, it is about Patrick Mahomes. But um, I've always thought this that, and and nobody wants to hear owners praised, really, right? Uh, if we're just being honest, uh, it's, it's a lot more fun to criticize. But Clark Hunt, um, who otherwise I don't think has had that much of an impact, but he had his finest hour in 2012. Um, and, you know, the, that team bottomed out. And, and Clark can share some of the blame for, for all of that. Um, he should have seen, he should have had the people skills to see that Scott Pioli and Todd Haley weren't going to work, for instance. You know? And he, and he should have been more in touch to, to know how badly things were going before before 2012. But when that happened, he, I think he had his fine, he, he was aggressive, he was assertive, he was direct. He flew to Philadelphia, and everybody wanted Andy Reid. Like, if he was going to coach, um, Cardinals, Chargers were, were both open, and those were heavily mentioned um, with him. Andy's from, grew up in, in, in LA. Um, Arizona's got a lot of advantages, obviously. And there may have been another team or two that, that was, was in on Andy, and Clark got him. You know, and Clark got him because of his presentation and because of you know, the history of the Chiefs and all those things, and you know, replaced what had become, at least in that moment, the most dysfunctional franchise in the NFL, and replaced it with the stability that Clark Hunt had always talked about wanting. And you know, owners, I think, probably take too much blame and credit like both ways, but that, that was just an absolutely imperative moment for the Chiefs because you know, if, if they're not as steady, as they have been with Andy are they in a position to make that deal or are they positioned you know to get the best out of, of Patrick Mahomes I mean it's just you know th- there's a lot of little moments that that feed into bigger moments but that was certainly one of them
0: Well this is year 7 for Andy Reid, year technically year 3 with with Patrick Mahomes and so it's half of his Philadelphia tenure, right? 14 years in in Philly because this is Andy's 21st year as an NFL coach. Um, when I was just I was
2: looking this up on my phone. I'm sorry, but uh, about the age and you know how many seasons. So how old is Andy? Is he like 59, 60?
1: I feel I want to say he's 61, 62, but he might. I'll look that up on my phone. Okay. So you... Dick Vermeil uh, was
2: 63 when uh, when he won the Super Bowl with the Rams. 20 seasons um, ago. Yeah. yeah, hadn't coached as much. Um, you know, hadn't coached as many years. Had been out as Andy for, has, yeah. but um, he he was older when he won his first Super Bowl.
0: Okay, all right, guys. Well, this this podcast has lasted almost a decade.
1: <laughs> By the way, Andy Reid is uh, sixty-one.
0: Okay. very good. With that, <laughs> we will we will bring this podcast, this re- decade review, to an end. Quite a decade in Kansas City sports, and I have been uh, just blessed to share press boxes, press rows with Vahig Gregorian and Sam Melinger, and Gentlemen, we will see you in the next decade. <laughs> Links to our coverage of these stories can be found in the show notes. Big thanks to Derek Donovan for producing today's show. And let us know what you think of Sports KC. Leave a comment or suggestion where you can do those things. We'd appreciate it. Hey, for the first time since we started this as a daily enterprise in July, I will not say tune in Wednesday for a new Sports KC presented by Big O Tires. We're going to take off on Christmas Day but may I suggest some recent episodes. Last week, we chatted with U.S. Women's National Soccer Team coach Vladko Andonofsky. Earlier this month, former Chiefs great Bobby Bell stopped by to chat about his glory days and these Kansas City Chiefs. Pick any day, and I think you'll enjoy the show. I know we enjoy bringing it to you. Have a great Christmas and holiday season, and we'll be back on Thursday with another Sports BKC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.